Welcome to Be The Church Podcast with your hosts, Chad and Melissa McBean, where we discuss a variety of topics relative to the active Christian life as we work to submit our lives to become more like Jesus each day. Today we share one of our bonus series episodes from our show, Latent Treasures. These shows are filled with incredible guests to inspire you and encourage you throughout the week. Inspired by a quote from C.S. Lewis, this show seeks to highlight people who live their faith out in ways that are somewhat discreet. But make no mistake, the impact that they are making in the lives of those they touch is anything but latent or discreet. Our hope is that this series will engage you, intrigue you, challenge you, grow you, and gives you a chance to interact with us in your own journey of life in a way that may ultimately help draw you nearer to the God who created you. If you enjoyed this show, please like it, share it, and even subscribe to it so you can be alerted to future episodes when they're released. In today's episode of Latent Treasures, we open up part one of our interview with Kim Winston Bigler. She will get you very excited and pumped as she shares her passion for foster children, but will likely also get you reaching for a tissue now and then too. We at Be The Church have had foster advocacy and support at the top of our priority list since day one, and it's the number one need we are looking to address as we develop our ranch. When I met Kim long ago, she added fuel to my already blazing fire for these kids. I have no doubt most of you will feel the same way by the time you finish the interview we share with her. Kim had never intended to become a hero to the foster community and probably still doesn't think of herself in that light. But like so many of our guests, she's let God lead her steps and we can't wait to let you hear her amazing story. She founded James Storehouse about eight years ago and has since let it evolve into James Samaritan, now located in Louisiana where she grew up. I adore this woman's passion and I know you will too. She's got a contagious spirit of hope and healing for this neglected community and we invite you to get to know her better now. Well, today we are talking with Kim Winston Bigler, who's currently in Louisiana, and she has a phenomenal story relative to work that she's doing with the foster care system, supporting the kids and the families uh, that are involved there, as well as the you know caseworkers and the, the support system around that, that arena. Um, so thank you, Kimberly, for joining us today and taking time. And, thank you for uh, having me. Absolutely. Welcome. I'd love to start with, if that's all right with you, I'd love to start with kind of the, what brought you into this realm, right? You, um, you have a very interesting and unique story that I've been blessed to hear. And I think the rest of our listeners would love to hear how, um, how you were moved to, to, to start walking these steps. Well, uh, God got me onto the field of foster care, um, starting with a mass email that I had received um, around 2010, I believe, where it was a very well-to-do church in the area that I was living in at the time. And it was a massive, and it was a church I didn't even go to. And, um, I had previously been praying before I got this email, which is a serious prayer that, uh, God loves to answer. And that was, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste your time, Lord. But I want you to direct me how I've been gifted, how you've created me, uh, what you've purposed me for, um, direct my steps regarding those things. Uh, because at the time, I just felt like um, 
I just wasn't being used in the way that was, that could be most effective. And so, um, shortly after I got this mass email for this well-to-do church and it was about, uh, a, a youth who had just aged out of the foster care system, meaning she was transitioning out simply because she turned 18. She had found herself without any community connections or, and she transferred out with no forever family and somehow secured an empty apartment. It was December, Christmas time. She was freezing and she was simply reaching out to this well-to-do church about a heater for her apartment. And, um, and I was really mad that a mass, first of all, my knee jerk reaction to the emails, I was really mad that a mass email had to present her realities to thousands of people about a $30 item um, that she needed. And I was like, kind of miffed that the amount of time that it took to devise that email or, you know, write that email and send out and, and you know, choreograph that whole thing um, was the same amount of time someone could have just bought her a $30 heater from Walmart and had it delivered already. So, but the ironic part is, and probably the most God part of this story is that I had just bought a heater for my dog's space in the garage for my dog. And I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that I was treating my dog better than we had a treated this girl her entire time in foster care, but that I was quick to reply to my dog's needs and she was still looking for the heater after many days. And so in my self-righteous lividness, I was stomping around the living room going, what is the church doing? We have a church on every corner. Where, why doesn't she have a family? Why is she in an empty apartment? Why is she begging for a $30 heater from a well-to-do church that could have gotten it already? And so I was stomping around the living room going, what is the church doing? What is the church doing? What is the church doing? And a still small voice said, Kim, what are you doing? I want you to get the heater. And I've been getting proverbial heaters ever since. <laughs> yeah. So, that was my wake up call that I was the very church person that wasn't doing anything practical. You know, I thought I was conquering, you know, I knew it was meant to conquer the world and God just asked me to get a heater. So that's how sometimes these movements start, but they never get started because we're not willing to do the small first step. That small first step then led to a department, uh, a partnership with the department and child and family services. Yeah. I love that story. Um, I think anybody who's probably gone to answer that question, what is our church doing about the foster care needs in our community? I think it's not at all uncommon to find out you found out through an email <laughs> that they weren't doing much, right? They'd ask the rest of the people to handle it. Um, I remember the same exact feeling. I went to the leadership at a church I was at in Los Angeles, a very big, very prominent church. And they literally told me they outsource all their foster care ministry. And it blew me away. Um, and that's actually what ended up leading me to meeting you not that long after that. Um, but it is, it's astonishing. And I think that that lesson there relative to just start doing something, just 
be part of the solution rather than find out why there's these gaps in, you know, the organizations around us, you know, we make up those organizations around us. And if, if we're disappointed in what those organizations are doing, then there's no excuse to not take action ourselves. So I love that you were compelled and listened to that inner voice that said, I want you to buy that heater. Um, and yeah, boy, what snowballed from there to say the least. Um, so that led to that relationship with DCFS. Tell us a little bit about that. What is DCFS? Well, you mentioned it's Department of Child and Family Services. Yeah, so the Department of Child and Family Services could be called OCF. There's like so many different you know ways we call them, but it's really child welfare, where kids who are coming into the system uh, for abuse and neglect, they go into the foster care system and um, and the foster care system is supposed to have these great families available um, to help care for these kids. And there is a crisis in our nation, if not all around the world, where there's way too many kids coming into the foster care system or being orphaned across the world and not enough families to take care of them. So it's not... Um, it's not a California issue. It is not a Louisiana issue. It is not a Singapore issue. It's a world issue. And we have way too many kids that don't have um, God-given families available. And we have to ask ourselves why. And so when we partnered with the Department of Child and Family Services, I said, look, I don't have anything to give. I'm not rich. I don't have a lot of money. I don't even have a lot of brain up here on this blonde head. But what I do have is a mouth. What I do have is passion for those who are invisible in society based on my faith. And so, and, and a passion for God. So how can I use my ability to mobilize people um, on your behalf? And so they literally looked like I was a, you know, a crazy person because nobody walks into child welfare and says, how can I help you and your kids? Uh, nobody does that. Okay. And so I think I was like the first person that just walked off the street saying, what can I do? And she said, well, there's an eight month old baby girl over there that if she doesn't have a crib by tomorrow, she's going to be put into a group home and not with her auntie, which is the best placement for her. That gripped me. So literally right then and there, Chad, I started a Facebook page. Literally while we were talking, I just got out my phone. I said, I'm getting this crib. I don't know how, I don't know what, but I'm shaming people uh, in the name of Christ to, to give this crib today. And so I created my Facebook page. I don't even know what I called it. Here I am, whatever it is, Kids for Christ, whatever. And I just started posting all these needs and it started with that crib and the crib literally took eight hours. I mean, I don't even think it took eight hours. It was like there immediately. I said, eight month old baby girl, I see in the child welfare office for the best placement, they need a bed. See, I didn't know that. Who knows that? Yeah. Uh, we think all this is being taken care of in the foster care system. I didn't know this. I had no idea there was a shortage of budget, which therefore a shortage of resources that got to these kids. And I certainly didn't know that a bed 
is is needed to for a caregiver or foster family to pass a home inspection. And I certainly didn't know that they weren't getting help to get those beds so their homes can be open toward the kids who need them. And so that's kind of where it headed. Um, we would get after that, you know, first of all, people responded to the eight-month baby baby girl, and not only did I not get a crib, not only did I get a crib that day, I got bedding, I got diapers, I got clothes for two months, I got so much stuff for that eight-month-old baby because that's what God does when we get involved. He gives more than enough. He does more than we can dare ask or think, and he was blowing my mind to the point where I decided to do more. So I said, "What else you got?" So every month, Chad, we would have a meeting with the caseworkers who needed beds, bunk beds, twin beds, crib mattresses, crib sets, blah, blah, you name it. And then it drooled into uniforms for school and bikes so teens could get around and have some transportation and get to school and all these things. And it was because of a relationship with the Department of Child and Family Services, a healthy one that was being built between a government agency that never got help to now an empowered community that had the information they needed to help and all because of a crazy lady and a Facebook page. But see, that's what God does. Yeah. And, um, that, and that's what he started doing. And not only did he start helping place more kids because we were getting these resources, he was helping to stabilize burned out caseworkers who were on the phone, could be all day long getting a crib when they need to be managing the caseworkers uh, for the children. So we were keeping more great caseworkers on the field of foster care and the way God intended because the church was being mobilized to, to care for their resource part. This episode is sponsored by Royal CFO Services. Would you prefer to have the peace of mind that accounting experts and financial analysts are managing and maintaining your business's financials? Would you prefer to give the hours you spend on accounting back to your family and friends while resting confidently that your business finances are in excellent care? Royal CFO Services can allow you to do just that. By outsourcing your accounting and finance needs, you can improve your work-life balance, discover when to make your next big move to grow your business, and more. Royal specializes in businesses in the construction and real estate industry, agricultural industry, and the nonprofit sector. Visit them today at royalcfoservices.com to book a free consultation. It is eye-opening. Once you start digging what you uncover, right? When I first got involved, I had never thought about logically it's there. You, you hear it and it's, oh yeah, ah. But you start to understand it's not just foster kids that need help. Like you just said, these caseworkers need help. The families who are trying to step up and help need help. Need help. The, the relatives of people who have their children taken into you know custody for the protection of those children, their relatives who want to help need help. The yeah. teachers at their schools need help. Yeah. The CASA workers need help and resources. Um, and it's not hard to imagine that a government organization has all kinds of inefficiencies. <laughs> we see that anytime we look at a government organization, right? Uh, and that's not a knock necessarily on that. I'm not saying we need to fix no. that, but obviously anytime that the private sector can come alongside and actually 
buoy the efforts of what that division is supposed to do, all the better, right? We can go into long debates about should any part of the foster world still be private versus it all be run through a county system. But ultimately, like you said, we operate from a place of faith and there are opportunities and really no excuse for anybody who's in a position of, of following Christ and, and, and obeying his commands where anybody walking with Christ should hesitate to want to step up in some way, shape or form. Like you said, you didn't have a lot of resources financially or otherwise, but you have a voice and passion and energy, right? You have talent to, to bring to the table. And it's easy for me at times to stop there too and think, okay, we can have that same conversation. There are way more churches in our nation and around the world than there are orphans. So yeah. if even one-to-one, a church took care of a need for one and followed that need through to fruition, right? Somebody entered the foster care system, they might get you know, re, uh, reunited with their, their bio parents. They might become adopted. They might emancipate out at, you know, at age. But following that through to, through to fruition until they're standing on their feet again, there's no reason why, you know, one church to one child couldn't be a, a thing, but also, you know, outside of the, the faith community, there are massive numbers of people who love to get involved and help with um, social issues, right? And this is a massive social issue, especially for those, whether they're faith-based or not. It struck me in the face really hard when I started to think about, I think this was back in either 2008 or 2005, I think it was 2008 is when it struck me the most. We obviously, as a faith-based community, typically have a view of, of pro-life and let's not see hundreds of thousands of abortions every year, right? And it occurred to me during that election season that, well, let's say we actually accomplish that, that foster care system is gonna double, triple, right? And perhaps, I don't say perhaps, for the better, but if we're going to allow, if we're going to be able to change the laws that say non-emergency abortions can't happen, right, and that foster system explodes, then we've got to step up. And we have, I don't think we have the right to say we're, we're prepared to do that if we're not handling what's there right now, right? Like, I am convinced after reading scriptures that if one child ages out of the foster care system without a family, somebody ain't following Jesus in the church that says they are because scripture is clear that he puts the lonely in families, that he is for the orphan for the, there is so many scriptures involving him being the father of the fatherless so if these kids don't know that he is it's because they don't have one and is that because jesus has left them without one no somebody wasn't obedient somebody's not living out their faith somebody may be uh, uh putting going to church on sundays but many are not living what they believe because if we did there would be more waiting families for waiting children than children waiting for families. There would be more waiting families, not children. And there's way more disproportional numbers of children waiting for families. The church is not mobilized. 
I am really sorry to say it, if they're not mobilized and they're not mobilized because they're not living out what they believe and they're not willing to sacrifice comfort to, to fight for a life in foster care. But I'm telling you, that's God's heart. That's God's will. And if we were all living as we should, there should be no children waiting for families. I can say that that strongly with that much assurance. Oh, absolutely. Without, without question. So did it take a lot? It, it sounds like your path was pretty organic. It's Very just, organic. So it wasn't you forcing into where do we dig deeper? They, they open that door and let, let the deeper come to you. Yes. Like literally it was like we were out of my car, the back of my trunk, you know, a uh, 10 year old boy needs a, a twin bed. And then somebody, I got one over here and I drive all over creation and drop that sucker off at Watts. Like, I mean, I was all over Los Angeles. I was all over Southern California um, with those beds, schlepping them up, you know, seeing if somebody had a truck, always having to, you know, pay off somebody to drive me in their truck to go drop this thing off. And uh, my husband was great you know, uh, but he had to work. So we were just trying to just, you know, survive. But you know what? God was always faithful. So I, re I remember there would be a sibling set of eight come in and they needed four bunk, you know, they needed bunk beds. And I'm like, I don't have the money for that. And, um, I, and I'd be like, God, you have mail. I don't, I don't know how to do this. You're the one that chose me to, to, to be the song and dance and clown here. So I, I've, I've put myself out. I've seen the need, but I don't have the resources to meet the need. And when I read your word, you said you would give me that. So you got mail, not me. You got mail. And you know what? I know people would probably be, well, you should just go that way. Me and God roll that way. And he loves it because I call, I, I, I make sure I, I, I say, this is your promise to me. So, and he likes that. That's faith. That's a real relationship right there. And so he never failed to produce. I mean, there were times where I'm like, how am I going to get this request done? He'd meet it. And I would see miracles left, right, and center. And, and because we had Facebook and we were putting the needs out there without, you know, share, sharing the identities of these children, it was putting a face for the uh, faith community that had never been placed out there before in the foster care system. I was actually putting even a face on the caseworker that seems every, everyone seems is just this nondescript baby snatcher, you know? So now people have hearts for caseworkers and uh, hearts for bio families. I would say, this is what I need to eat. It wasn't just for foster families or caregivers that were grandparents or caseworkers. We were helping reunite kids yeah. with their family. And after they have fought so hard and did what needed to do for their own improvement and their own, um, their own self to get to win these kids back. Cause they had to win them back. They yeah. have to win them back. It's a gauntlet. And it's a gauntlet. And so we would come right up alongside them with what they needed as well. And in all this, God grew it organically, where then we would come in contact with a, a church that came up with a warehouse that then we were able to get more needs from the community, then more territory, you know, God, you know, sent us out to, to other 
you know, regions in our nation to go plant other things like this. And I cannot tell you how many nonprofits have been started and ministries have been started or even school closets have been started because of our work. So that's when you know God is in something. When I didn't ask to do this, I was just trying to make some money and that ain't happening. But even better though, God's work has its own rewards, right? And so I have been so blessed because I see miracles on a weekly basis. And part of that, the, the miracle is the awakening of the church to take back the mandate we had given over to government, which is to care for the orphan and widow in their distress. If we were actually doing that and we have a church on every corner, that system wouldn't be as needed or as big and as, uh, and as uh, upfront and center as they have been made to be we were supposed to be made up of up front and center. And now we've placed uh, too much on too few with too little. And, but we, we are endless supply church because we have a God who owns cattle on a thousand Hills. And so he doesn't lack resources. So we saw when God was doing a little in that air, one area, he was expanding it to other areas. And not only that, he was tapping others and using us to help pollinate others where then they feel igni you know, ignited and initiated to go do the same thing. So now there's a movement all across this nation, I believe all over the world, that's coming into back into alignment with God. And we're going to see um, the biggest display of the gospel in this, in this particular area. Display. Yeah. Well, I want to pause right there and dig into a parallel, right? Yep. I hear so many times people talk about, you know, their, their walk and, or I don't really feel like I'm that like connected to God. Um, I sometimes wonder if I have doubts, is God really real? Is he there? Is he hearing me? Uh, I have no doubt that you like myself have experienced so many things personally because of our involvement in his work specifically. So if you could talk a little bit about one, how being his hands and feet has impacted you and your faith and made it incredibly tangible and real versus ethereal, right? But also I'm curious to hear, because I've actually never even asked you this, but how has it impacted your husband? How has it impacted your son being in that environment, seeing this, seeing you know, where on earth are we, these resources going to come from and God answering those prayers in time? over and over again, how is all these experiences, how are all these experiences impacting your family? I definitely think uh, our faith has been one. Um, again, we have been asked, you know, while uh, serving in this way, uh, more and even bigger, you know, uh, opportunities to serve kids in foster care have presented themselves. And it required a move for us, you know, location to another state. And all of those things we could say yes to because of what we had seen God do in the past regarding getting needs that literally seemed insurmountable. I mean, I remember there was needs that cost thousands, like housing teens who were homeless. How do you house a teen that is homeless with, 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 with a thousand dollars? You can't. Uh, so 
what do we do with that? And God would continue to show us answers, continue to provide wisdom. So I feel like he, regarding my family, regarding my husband, we have learned that God can do the impossible. Like really, it's not just scripture. Like he really can. And we also realize that God has a timing and a how, and if you're not in that, you'll get jacked up. Um, your faith will be like, well, the scripture doesn't work. No, it does. It's just, you're doing it your way. We realize that God actually does have a way that he likes to do things. And we not we might not understand that all the time. So we've learned to follow, which means more faith as well. But I think the biggest thing for us that changed our lives regarding all of this is after many years of doing resources, seeing God work miracles on behalf of children and families and foster care, there was a one night where uh, a, a foster mom called me, I need, I need baby items. And it was late at night and we just happened to be having a board meeting at our now nonprofit. Um, and uh, she came in, I said, sure, absolutely. And she, we're already here, come. She came and uh, she, she goes, can you hold the baby or play with the baby while I look around for some things? Because we had clothes displayed and bedding displayed and all the baby apparatuses there. And I just said, look, go take what you need. And she gave me this baby. And I looked at this baby and I said, what, what's going on with, with this one, you know? And she says, all I know is that I've taken in a lot of kids already uh, Cause she had, she had like tons of kids in and out of her house all the time. And she says, but I just, I don't think we can care for her long-term. And I heard God say, you're up. And so I went and told my husband, I think God is calling us to this baby that I met today. Now I had seen tons of babies, tons of kids, tons of teens, but I was like, no, I'll serve you resources, but I ain't being, I'm not mama to nobody, okay? I'm not Mother Teresa, even with the kid I have. So I don't need to be adding anybody to, to my crazy life. But because you asked, what was the biggest thing? Because we have seen God faithful, because we have seen and heard God for other families, you know, we pray with other families, we knew that he was calling us to this little girl and we ended up adopting her. We adopted a, a little baby girl. So all those that say four people in their midlife right here, can't be moms to babies, newborns, toddlers, you're looking at her. So I am now raising a three-year-old at 47 years old, which mind you, I have to say every now and then I go, what did I do? But if we're all honest here, it, let's, let's just be honest. We've we got to take off the hero glasses, the rose-colored glasses, and we got to talk real for people to understand it's sacrifice. It will ruin your comfort. It may even seem on days it's ruined your life, but it hasn't. It's, God is building something in you. But the only reason my son and my husband said yes to adding another little human and starting all over in 40s was because we've seen the goodness, the blessing, the faithfulness of God for eight years beforehand. 
So if that's not a big thing that happened to my family, oh, heck yeah. due to seeing God work in the past, I don't know what. And she is a beautiful, thriving little girl right now. So. What a great, honest, and convicting conversation. We have more of this interview to share with you in part two, so please take time to listen into that episode as well. But I really love her simple observation that if even one single child ages out of the foster care system without a family, then there are way too many Christians not reading their Bible or living out their faith. Such a simple truth. For links to Kim and James Samaritan, please see our show notes for this episode on bethechurch.org. We look forward to meeting up with you all again next time on part two of this conversation with Kim Bigler. And until then, peace be with you, and we continue to pray. Maranatha, Father.